Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm Matt Harmon. No one cares about that, but uh, you can obviously tell that it's the sound of my voice. Anyways, again, like I said, no one cares about me. What's more exciting is that we're joined today by Anthony Amico, who uh, has a long resume for me to read out here, which you know, that's an impressive guest when I can tell you that he is a staff writer at Football Guys, part of the Football Guys coaching tree, which I also got a branch from uh, myself. We love to see it. Also just got a new gig as a dynasty contributor at Establish the Run. And uh, again, another thing I admire, blazing his own path with a substack called In the Aggregate. Anthony, uh, you're obviously a busy man. So when I say this, let's uh, let's, you know, just don't tell me your entire daily schedule. But what's going on, man? <laughs> uh, quite a bit, I guess. Right. Um, you know, thanks for the intro. Thanks for having me. I mean, I feel like we've connected so much on Twitter, so it's nice to, nice to talk to you in person a little bit here and, uh, you know, cut it up. So definitely pumped and excited to be here. Yeah. Anthony's one of those people that I've followed and like we followed each other on Twitter for seemingly yeah, like since like 2014 or something when I like got it mostly got started doing this, which by the way, that feels like a thousand years ago at this point. But I don't know that I've actually ever seen you as a as a human person before. So I always just associate <laughs> you're one of those people like I just associate your Twitter profile picture with whenever like you were saying anything. That's what I picture. So now I actually have a real good face to, to put to the, and a good face, man. You got a good face. Uh, so this is good stuff. Um, anyways, on today's show, we're going to talk some dynasty strategy, obviously looping in uh, your new gig at Establish the Run. We're going to ta- we're going to tackle a little bit of the Cincinnati Bengals because I know you've got some takes there. The Bengals, like uh, a fun, potentially exciting offense. What a world we live in. But first, it's an NFL program. So we've got to talk about the Cowboys. Uh, I wanted to run this by you because, listen, we're going to talk in a little bit about some other stupid little news items you know, that came across the wire the last couple of days, but this one actually got me excited and, and I'll, I'll explain for, for the people why Cowboys coach, Mike McCarthy, this com- comes in from Michael Gelkin of the Dallas morning news. Cowboys coach, Mike McCarthy said that wide receiver, Michael Gallup is t- quote, taking that next step you look for in young players. He also said, did Gelkin that Gallup has been seen uh, taking more slot reps in the spring. And McCarthy says that he is loving it. He looks good at it. I see Michael taking a big leap this season. Anthony, I think that Michael Gallup is one of the more underrated receivers in the NFL right now. Uh, I obviously love this entire Cowboys trio. You know, I think that right now there's a huge gap between Cooper and Lamb, 
And I like, you know, I like where Cooper and Lamb are going. I'm willing to take them there. But there's a big gap between those guys and Michael Gallup. And I got to tell you, man, I thought the one thing, and I, I feel like I said this to Dalton on this podcast, like recently, I don't want to count on Mike McCarthy being multiple with his receiver usage. But man, I feel like it would be great if these guys actually moved around a lot next year. Uh, where are you at with Gallup and this wide receiver core in Dallas as a whole? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult not to like the entire situation, right? I mean, they threw the ball all over the yard when Dak was healthy last year. But I'm definitely bullish on Gallup with you. I mean, the guy was making a ton of great plays, especially down the field, like big plays the first couple of years of his career. And then last year, he disappeared a little bit in those games where Dak was healthy. And it was a little concerning. I think for me, the big, the most surprising thing last year was just how often they were targeting the tight end when they had those three receivers. Because I was expecting it to just be a three a three person show, basically. And the tight end would be like kind of ancillary. It sounds like we might get that this year. And I, I want to just continue to bet on the talent. Um, I want to continue to bet on Michael Gallup. So I definitely think that he's a value right now. I, I like drafting him, especially like in best ball formats where you know, like one of these Dallas guys is probably going to pop off every week. And, and Gallup is one of those guys. Yeah, we're going to talk about the Bengals as part of like my stackable offense series. But I think that the Cowboys are obviously like the cream of the crop when it comes to offenses that you can stack right now. You kind of have to take a stand between Cooper and uh, CD Lamb because they're going so close to each other. You know, 33 overall, uh, 35th overall for those two guys and their ADPs. Like you kind of, there's not really a scenario where you're going to snag both of those guys if you want to stack this offense up. But the fact that Gallup's all the way down there at like sub 80th overall, you know, wide receiver 40-ish ADP right now, that's so juicy because you can just easily pop him right on the end of that stack. And I agree with you. I, I love the talent of Michael Gallup. And I think last year when you go back and watch these guys, the one thing that was just so frustrating was like Cooper was their flanker. Gallup was always their X and lamb was always their slot. And I'm like, I get the idea, like the tactical advantage of having CD lamb be your full-time slot receiver. Cause it's like, basically you're using uh, a talent like CD lamb and almost like a Cooper cup type of role. I could get why that's uh, appealing to you, but Michael Gallup and Michael Gallup's their best receiver against press coverage. I think he's their best guy at that X receiver position, but I would love to see these guys move around a little bit more. Like I think CD lamb can play the X receiver spot. I think Michael Gallup could be a matchup advantage inside um, really good, you know, running those shorter routes as well as the deep routes. So I don't know. I think there's a chance there could be some more consistency in Gallup's game if he moves around a little bit and actually some more upside within lamb's game, if they also move these guys a little bit around too. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I, I mean, that's the thing. The thing that I always go back to is some of the stuff, like you're saying, like moving the guys around, like different concepts work to different player strengths from different spots on the field. So like if, if Gallup was always your ex, like that still isn't going to be advantageous to you in certain situations. So if you move him around and you know, his best strength works, works better for you in certain concepts, like you just made your offense better. Exactly. I think that just overall, the offense could be much more um, efficient. So I guess I guess the the the, <laughs> the crux of this whole situation here is how much do we believe that like Mike McCarthy will be? And I know that obviously Kellen Moore is the offensive coordinator. He's a play caller. So like McCarthy has some sort of limitation here. But doesn't it feel like, you know, four or five years ago, all we were saying is like, man, I really wish Mike McCarthy would be a little bit more creative with his receiver usage uh, with this Green Bay Packers offense. Am I being like a clown if I sit here and just <laughs> I'm hoping that this happens uh, with his new with his new spot here in Dallas with these receivers? Is there really any hope 
in believing that McCarthy could be um, more of a forward thinker in this spot. I, I have to have hope. I have to have hope with the players <laughs> that they have. I mean, I do feel like the first couple of games last year, I'd be talking to people and be like, man, like, I feel like Dallas has to like just get down like 20 points for McCarthy to call the good plays. But like, I'm hoping yeah. that he looks back and is like, oh yeah, like maybe these are just the good plays all the time. Like we don't have to be in these negative game scripts and, and that's when we start jamming. And so I, I just want to, I just want to take the good players and, and, and hope that McCarthy does his job correctly. Yeah, well, I guess maybe we can hope he takes another uh, couple PR PFF trips or something and they'll let him know like those are the good plays and all that type of stuff. So we'll we'll keep on moving here. I do want to just quickly hit on these. We don't have to spend a ton of time. But again, I always feel like I like to take the guest temperature on like the running back tilt zone news of the day. Um, Usually it's DeAndre Swift. We don't get to talk about DeAndre Swift today and, you know, whatever Anthony Lynn has said about Jamal Williams being the A-back or whatever. But today we get to talk about Miles Sanders, Eagles running back coach uh, Jamel Singleton, downplayed the idea of, quote, an every down back, said it all depends on your room. You need a first and a second down runner with that really elite ability, whatever. Anyways, uh, where are you at with Miles Sanders? I actually think this Eagles offense, you know, similar to Dallas you, you kind of have to take a stand on what you think is like going to happen with uh, with Jalen Hurts, whether you think he can be a quality passer. You know, I, I know that there's been a few folks that have been really bullish on the idea that maybe the Eagles pass the ball more than like we're expecting at this point. So maybe this whole juicy running game that we're um, projecting isn't quite there anyways. How are you uh, feeling about Miles Sanders uh, heading into you know the last couple the, the last couple hours when this became a big talking point <laughs> on fantasy Twitter? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> this doesn't move the needle a ton for me, I guess, just because I was already factoring some of that stuff in. I'm, I'm already a little lower probably on Miles Sanders than consensus just because, you know, I think Sirianni has this like usage of multiple backs in his resume already. I mean, he literally just did this last year with Jonathan Taylor, who I think a lot of us think is is really good, like an all-world kind of guy. So it's hard. Taylor's for me to see definitely that. a superior talent to Sanders. I feel like you know, like right. if you're not going to give Jonathan Taylor a full time workload, what do you, what's really going to move the needle with with uh, with old Miles Sanders there? Exactly. So I, you know, I think Sanders is still going to lead the backfield in touches, but what do those touches look like? You know, especially when you have a running quarterback who's probably going to take away some of those carries. I'm not really sure. Uh, I'm pretty bullish on Kenny Gainwell. I think he's I think he's a good player. I think he's going to factor in uh, to their offense right away. So. I'm just not really sure like how I feel about Sanders. I, I think that the ceiling is lowered or at least like without any kind of injury or anything like that. I feel like the ceiling is kind of lower than a lot of people are projecting right now. So uh, I kind of already was factoring in what, what this coach was saying. Yeah. I don't really think there's much of a ceiling with Sanders, right? Like unless this offense really goes full blown, like 2019 Ravens, but that would be, you know, you're projecting Jalen hurts to be a Lamar Jackson type player. I like Jalen hurts. I'm not expecting that, you know, then you're going to hope for just like a hyper efficient run game with Sanders sort of playing that Mark Ingram spot. I'm not, I'm not expecting that. I, I find myself, even though sure, like Sanders current ADP is fine. Like I don't think that I'm necessarily like, barreling to take Josh Jacobs or Mike Davis or Miles Gaskin ahead, like rank them ahead of Miles Sanders or whatever. But when it comes down to it, when I'm on the clock in, in best ball drafts right now, I'm clicking a wide receiver's name over Miles Sanders, like basically 10 times out of 10. Do you feel that way too? Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is like, I feel like what we call these things is, is like the hot topic on Twitter right now, but like the RB <laughs> dead zone, like that's, that's like the definition of a dead zone running back. Like just, just take a receiver. They have more upside. They're going to do more for your roster. It's proven every year. 
All right, moving on to the second thing from running back weekly tilt zone here real quick uh, on this one as well. Todd Gurley visiting the Ravens. Didn't he left without a contract? We know he visited the lines last week. Do you care about where Todd Gurley, by the way, Todd Gurley, like he turns 27, like, it, it actually the day shout out to Todd Gurley his birthday is the day after mine like he's not some ancient running back it's just the fall happened so quickly uh for poor old Todd Gurley my my sort of birthday buddy there uh do you do you care where Todd Gurley lands or are you just like hoping he doesn't go to a backfield filled with a guy that you like really like uh and does JK Dobbins and Gus Edwards qualify as a as a backfield you do not want Todd Gurley because you really like those guys I almost don't want him to go to the Ravens just because I want people to keep overdrafting JK Dobbins. Like I, I'm afraid that if Gurley goes there, people are gonna be like, Oh, well now we can't draft him. Like that's the, like yeah. that's the reason, not like the multiple year sample of like <laughs> multiple running backs being used and the run and the running back, like the, ru- the rushing from the quarterback, like limiting the ceiling of all these guys. So, I mean, generally speaking, like I, I don't, I'm not really threatened by Gurley. I kind of feel bad like the way his career is gone because that dude was just so fun for so long, like for a couple of years there. And like you said, it's kind of falling off. I mean, the fact that it's taken this long to sign just tells me that he's probably not like a major contributor wherever he ends up. Yeah, he'll just end. Like I said, I feel like he'll go somewhere and muck up a backfield for like four weeks or something like that and then could easily be you know, released mid season, which it sucks. I mean, it's, I feel like he's the, you know, the Le'Veon Bell thing, whatever. Uh, I, I feel like I have less, um, not that I have nothing against Le'Veon Bell, but I feel like the, the girly thing really like hits home more that I'm like, God, this running back, uh, situation is just so brutal right now. And it's just the, the, uh, the pure screaming, like in your face, how, uh, I, tragic is an over, uh, statement of it, but how, just how, it sucks, man. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. It just it sucks uh, to be uh, to be a fan of running backs right now. I feel like you you talked about J.K. Dobbins there real quick, and like there's definitely you know some little reports at a training camp like we really want to get J.K. Dobbins involved in the passing game. Like let's get up. So I don't care about that. Gus Edwards, running back thirty nine. I can't stop taking Gus in best ball. Like I can't stop taking Gus Edwards in best ball because like you said, always multiple backs there. They give him a new contract. It feels like he's very uh inappropriately price i mean i don't know where i don't know where you can put him higher than that like in your rankings or whatever but he feels like a great pick where he goes uh especially if you've hammered wide receivers early for sure i mean the, the gus bus keeps rolling man i mean the guy averages over five yards per carry every year we know that like the second running back tends to like gain a lot more from these ambiguous situations because like anything happens at jk dobbins now it's basically just him and justice hill like that's yeah. a way better situation. I don't really feel like the Ravens have like particular feelings about either running back in terms of the goal line. Like Edwards is going to have some weeks and uh, he's just so much cheaper than Dobbins. I feel like until that tightens up, like it, it's hard to not take him. Yeah. Dobbins like RB 17 Gus Edwards, RB 39 feels like similar to the top two Dallas guys and Michael Gallup the gap at the end of the year will be closer than that ADP reflects. All right. That's enough of news that literally no one cares about. Um, I should love, love to host a podcast and say like, no one cares about me. No one cares about the news, whatever. Anyways, we do want to talk about Anthony's sweet new gig as the dynasty aficionado at establish the run. You just posted a piece earlier this week. Really good. I hope everybody goes and checks it out on establish the run.com. Great site in general. Great podcast. They've got a lot of they, everybody knows about Adam Levitan at, Evan Silva and the guys there, they're doing great stuff. Let's kick it around a little bit about like your, your dynasty approach. 
Um, obviously, you talk about being up to speed on the settings. We know that. Have a goal in mind when drafting. Let's let's talk about this part of it. Finding the balance between drafting for right now versus long term. Uh, Anthony, in my like Discord with the, with the, uh, the hashtag people, there's always talks about are we, you know, am I a contending team? Should I trade this for this? Blah, 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 blah. What's your kind of general approach uh, when you're drafting in a startup and everything like that or making trades versus assessing long term or short term in Dynasty? Yeah, it's so weird because I feel like all the stuff that all the content like that we're doing at ETR, like the rankings, like everything's so geared towards these young players like I, that because that's the game. Like everyone wants mm-hmm. these young guys. But when you're in these startups, like I, I feel like I tend to lean a little more towards getting a couple more veterans, you know, trying to be a little bit more win now just because a lot of teams aren't going to do that. And you can gain a decent edge, I think, without sacrificing too much long-term viability for your roster. Just by taking a couple of these guys, like in the mid rounds, uh, you know, not not overdrafting running back early, you know, you can kind of put yourself in position to compete right away. And it's like to me, to me, like if we're, if we're playing this thing out and, and we're going to do this for five years, ten years, whatever. I mean, that's what we hope, right? Uh, I don't know how often <laughs> yeah. that happens, but that's, that's yeah, what we yeah, hope. yeah. Like that's uh, a good we, point, right? Like, <laughs> how often do you draft your dynasty league? Like in a startup, probably. I've definitely drafted a startup and been like, "Oh yeah, this is my team that I'm using for the next ten years." And like four years down the road, as I'm doing this, like whole, you know, the productive struggle or whatever that Ryan McDowell, uh, you know, coined all these years ago. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna struggle through these first three years, but man, you know, by year four, year five, I am, I am gonna be a powerhouse. And it's like by year four everybody in the league's like, yeah, we're kind of done with this. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. Maybe they, like, oh, great. Well, my big master plan here has really not worked out. I've Sashi browned myself over here. Yeah. So that, yeah, I just feel like if you can put yourself in a position to win early versus like, like you're saying, like teams that build and they're like, you know, these first couple of years I'm going to lose. And then I'm going to be really good for like five years straight. Like you're assuming that that happens and that could never happen. You could just be rebuilding the rest of your, the rest of your dynasty life. Uh, like I want to try to compete for a championship right away. I feel like that's I feel like that first year or two is when you're going to have the least amount of like really competitive teams because the way some of these dynasties startups work out, like I mean, teams have all these guys under 25, but they're like stone dead to to win a title. Yeah, exactly. And who wants to? Play? I don't know who wants to play that way. In, in my opinion, you mentioned fading running backs early. Does that? Does that come in play? Like, for example, last year in a startup, I had a I had the 1.01 and I took Christian McCaffrey. Like, are you talking all the way at the top of the draft or are we talking like more so just a general philosophy that you really want to solidify those receiver spots or, you know, maybe get one of those top tier tight ends uh, at some point? Are we talking more that or like at the very top of the draft? Like you're not you're not interested in running backs at that point. Yeah, I mean, pretty much all up and down the board. Like, I would take AJ Brown over CMC. Uh, I would take CD Lamb over, you know, uh, name another running back. You know, like I, yeah, I just, yeah, yeah. I just feel like all things being equal, like I want to build through these receivers. I want to build through these positions that I know have, you know, long term stability on dynasty rosters. Because you know, even a guy like McCaffrey, like in my leagues, like the teams that have McCaffrey, like they can't even trade him. Like the guy, like yeah, no one wants him. Tell me about even it. Even <laughs> though he has that, like one hundred and one startup like type capital it's just so weird to disconnect and that disconnect usually happens a lot more frequently at running back so i want to build through receivers i want to have to avoid like players dying on my roster like you have these running backs and if your team ends up not being that good 
Like these players just, they lose all their value on your roster. Like I'd much rather just trade four running backs in windows where I'm going to win, like whether it be mid season or like right before the season, I, that's how I want to manage the position. And then in rookie drafts, I can go ahead and pound running backs because I know that yeah. the first couple of years, these guys careers is when we're going to get the most out of them. Yeah. I, I love the point that you make about trading in season, because that's something that I feel like people don't really talk about enough in the off season during, you know, for, for, for dynasty strategy, which obviously like at this point we're, we're in the off season. So it makes total sense that we're talking mostly about off season, rookie drafts, dynasty trades, all that stuff. But I mean, I get, 35,000 uh, I'm exaggerating 35,000 questions about like should I deal this player uh for this player in dynasty right now like I'm a contender uh I'm 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 rebuilding whatever people ask those questions now you never really get those questions as much in season and it's interesting because to me like people will say I'm a contender or I'm rebuilding but like you said earlier there's so much assumption that goes into that because the damn games haven't started yet but obviously like week 5 6 7 or something you would have much more clarity on where you are is it like so you you telling me in week 5 like I'm a contender in this league should I make this trade makes so like yeah I bet you know I bet you know if you're actually a contender cuz the games are happening I kind of expand on that point about like trading in season because I think that's something that goes under discussed when we're talking about dynasty in the off season. For sure. And, and you know, I, I think that in some cases, like you could lose some leverage. Like I know, like if, if I'm trying to trade with someone and, and their team stinks, like I'm not going to like overpay for someone that I know is yeah. not going to be on their roster, like, you know, down the line and, and, and work help for them. But I think especially for competing teams or teams that are looking to compete, it makes so much sense to wait because you're going to probably get the best value you can. And if something happens, I mean, heaven forbid, like you make these big offseason trades and then like week one, like one of your best players gets hurt and you're like, shoot, like I'm done. And I traded my first round pick already. Like there's just so much more downside, I feel like, to, to making those trades early versus waiting. Yeah, for sure. Now that makes a ton of sense. And another point that you make in the article uh, that I want to hit on is don't be afraid to deal future picks. Uh, I am probably too aggressive on this on this part of Dynasty. Like, I get people asking me, like I said, I get questions about stuff. It's like, um, you know, it's this player for this player, plus, you know, I get their first round pick and like they get my three third round picks. I'm like, third round picks? Like, feels, I mean, at some points it's like rookie picks are just fake news, man. You know, like what <laughs> <laughs> we remember these like big hits, you know, when guys fall to the second round that shouldn't have fallen to the second round and like, you know, they become these big winners or third, third round picks and rookie drafts and whatever. And they become these, these huge hits. But I mean, more often than not, the players that we're picking there are just total dust and, you know, we'll probably cut them to the waiver wire at some point anyways. Um, are you as aggressive the way I feel about this or are you able to take more of a balanced approach when it comes to like dealing future rookie picks? No, I'm, I'm definitely good to fire. I mean, I, I think that the picks are the picks are the one thing that, that always, have, always have value. doesn't matter what's going on. Like, I feel like you talk about draft picks with guys in your league, they're like, oh, picks like what are we, you know, what can I give you for a pick? Like it's, it's insane. <laughs> um, so like if I can deal a pick for players that are going to produce points for me now, that's great. Um, especially when those players are also young, I think. And I mentioned that in the piece that like, kind of like the cheat code with these, with these dynasty uh, rookie picks is like, if you are trading them for players who also fit like the archetype of someone you want in a rookie draft, you know, someone who's young, someone who's productive or that you think can be productive you're basically like taking a loan out against the pick. You know, if I trade a first round pick 
for uh, Jerry Judy or something, you know? Um, I mean, he probably costs maybe a little more than that right now, but sure. That's you know, if I can make a trade like that, I'm taking, I'm trading for someone that I would be looking to draft with that pick in the following year anyway. But now I'm getting those points in 2021 instead of waiting for the 2022 season or even later. I mean, obviously some of these guys don't even produce right away. So I'm totally fine with trading rookie picks. I do like like the high seconds. I feel like probably have a little bit more value than, than they're given credit. But yeah, I mean like how many third round picks hit, like this is actually, this is probably something I should, I should look into and, and write about. Right. I mean, this isn't, this is part of my job now, but like, I feel like uh, yeah, I'll be in touch with your editors at ETR to tell them to go ahead and slap an assignment down. But I feel like the, you know, the third round picks, especially in later, it's like, I mean, who cares? Like, I, sure. Like if that's like, like, I'm never going to, I'm never going to let that be the make or break in, in a dynasty trade. Yeah, that's smart. I mean, yeah, I can't tell I do this for a living, right? Like, and I can't tell you how many times I get in the third round of a damn rookie draft. I'm like, I know who most of these fellas are. Then it's like these ones where it's like, oh, there's a a fourth round or God forbid, a fifth round of the rookie draft. I'm like, forget it, dude. Like this, none of the, I don't care about this guy who's going to be playing special teams in, uh, in three years. If he's lucky, if he's lucky, he'll be playing special teams on somebody's roster. So yeah, no, I, I think we're kind of on the same page in terms of dynasty approach, uh, except for the fact that I took CMC one Oh one Oh one. That was uh, maybe a mistake of mine. Cause you're right. I'm, I'm that guy that now in my, in my most competitive league that cannot trade Chris McCaffrey. Uh, so welcome to uh, welcome to my world there. I got to try to figure something out on that one. Anyways, let's move into the meat of the discussion because I wanted to get you on this podcast to sort of go over the third installment, I think, yeah, third installment of my series on stackable offenses for best ball. This one's about the Bengals. Anthony, I know that I've heard, uh, I, I shouted you out in the piece because I believe I've heard you call them uh, or heard people refer to you calling them Cowboys North. By the way, excellent work. Love that have stolen it already. I shouted you out in the piece, but have stolen it already. Uh, We'll continue to steal it. But I love the way you put that because there's such a similar kind of DNA between the Cowboys and, uh, and the Bengals right now with an ascending quarterback, a young wide receiver trio and a potential workhorse running back. But tell me why we should be high on stacking the Bengals offense. And we'll kind of take this piece by piece here. Yeah, and and also a bad defense, right? I mean, like all these factors and, yes, together. Yes, it's just like a perfect recipe. Um, Man, I they mean, keep since, trying. They keep trying stuff with that defense, and it's like, what are we re- like? They throw money at it, sort of every year, especially this year. It's like, hey, we got Trey Hendrickson, but uh, we lost our uh, top pass rusher to the Jets. Tough break there. So really, <laughs> what are like? We lose Carl Lawson, but we get Trey Hendrickson. Is that like maybe a one to one swap? Like they bring in these guys like Von Bell or DJ Reader or whatever. Don't really work out. I don't know. Yeah, the defense still stinks. Bottom line. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, I, I, Leone has looked at this at established their on like the Bengals' pass rate over expectation has been outstanding. So I mean, they threw the ball a lot last year, as is. And but even if you take into account like some of those game script based factors uh you know some of those game level factors that would maybe say oh like well they should be throwing this much actually no like they they still threw more than they were expected to uh, so that tells us that you know zach taylor this coaching staff like they want to throw they want to throw often they play at a really high pace so they're running a lot of plays they're at that same level as dallas where like last year we're talking about Dak, like if he keeps playing at this pace like he's gonna break he's gonna break, break all these records he's gonna throw all these attempts he's gonna pass all these yards like you know, I'm not necessarily saying that Joe Burrow 
could be like <laughs> like a Hall of Fame caliber passer yeah. this year, year two. But like he's going to throw the ball a ton. They know that it's these three guys that are their main guys. You know, um, Higgins and, and Boyd coming back and and, and bringing a chase. And I, I kind of just feel like the chase thing is almost like underrated, which is crazy to me because if you told me that we were going to bring in a Blitnikoff winner and he was going to you know pair up with the guy that won the Heisman the year he won the Blitnikoff. Like I feel, I thought we'd be doing cartwheels on, on fantasy Twitter and it gets like no love. Like I feel like because the way this stuff with Pitts has worked out and the fact that we had such a good quarterback draft, like no one's talking about just how good a prospect Jamar chase is. And I shouldn't say nobody because it's a big space. I'm sure plenty of people have talked about it, but like relative to, I think how much we should talk about it. It hasn't been brought up enough. Like Bob McGinn does this evaluator poll every year at the athletic where he, you know, talks to guys around the league. And Jamar Chase was the first consensus wide receiver one since Calvin Johnson in 2007. Obviously, he has all these amazing age-adjusted metrics. So like the stat nerds like me, like we love him. So there's like, again, like this perfect harmony between the film and the stats, which I love. And uh, I, I mean, I don't think it's crazy to say he's the best prospect. Like to me, at least since like Amari Cooper, uh, if you want to say like Julio AJ Green, I think that's acceptable also. Like I, I just think that he's so good and you bring that guy in with a lot less adjustments than a lot of other rookie receivers are going to have to make just because of the quarterback familiarity. Like, I mean, this offense is, is going to jam, man. I, I mean, you're replacing AJ green with this guy. Like I, I cannot, I cannot overstate like how good I think they can be throwing the ball. Yeah. You mentioned some of their passing metrics. Uh, when games were within three points last year, the Bengals had a 62% passing play percentage. That was the sixth highest mark in the league. Uh, that's a continuation of what they did the year before that. Same same sort of game script, 62% again, that ranked third highest uh, in the NFL in 2019. You know, the teams that they were around in 2020, Steelers, Falcons, Bills, Bucks, Chiefs, obviously offenses that we, for the most part, like to mine fantasy gold out of. The Bengals are kind of sitting there from a passing, uh, you know, from a, a game script perspective. 13th in plays run last year, uh, ninth in plays run in 2019. So the skeleton, I feel like, is there for the type of offense that we want in fantasy. And I'm 1,000% with you on the Jamar Chase thing that I feel like it's kind of gone undersold. And you bring up some good points with Kyle Pitts and like some of the quarterback stuff. But also, I feel like it's because there was such I feel like there was pushback on the pick of Chase, not because of the player, but because they didn't go with an offensive lineman. But I'm telling you what, man, I think that this I don't want to say that, like, it'll make a bigger difference for the offensive ecosystem overall that they have Jamar Chase over like a potential stud left tackle or something like that. But there's a chance that it does. I, I thought the logic of the pick made so much sense because, man, you're looking at a team that when Joe Burrow was there last year, he completed nine of 48 passes that traveled 20 plus yards, like nine of 48. Let me tell you what, that's not a good conversion rate. I think it was like dead last among relevant quarterbacks in that span was his deep completion percentage. They're not they were not a good vertical offense, despite the fact that they had some decent moments as a passing game and maybe some of that. I think there's some of it that is Joe Burrow, right? Like he's not the strongest arm pass or whatever, but I agree with you taking dusty AJ green and basically just swapping in with the best downfield receiver in the draft. One of the best vertical ball winners in the draft. And like you said, the guy that has made this same music played off this same sheet with Joe Burrow before 
it may I, in that in that way I totally understood the logic of the pick. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I don't know. Like I, the consternation over like them taking a tackle. I was just like, I mean, I get it, right? Like you want to protect the money, you want to protect Burrow. Like I totally get it, but at the same time, like you just can't replace Jamar Chase. Like and you can't replace yeah. what he might bring to this offense. So I, like you said, we'll we'll see how it works out. I guess like if you know Burrow gets hurt again or something, like it's going to be pretty epic, like the, the blowback that they'll get. But yeah. I just, I don't, I just don't think that that's going to happen. I mean, I just want, I want, I want this offense to be just super fun. Like, you know, they're your Sunday ticket team that you, that you check out every week. Like that's, that's what I want. Yeah. Like they're not going to be a good football team, right. For the most part, like they're not going to be better than, I mean, for the most part, they're probably not going to be better than Baltimore and they're not going to be better than Cleveland. We'll see what happens in Pittsburgh, but they are a potentially really good fantasy offense. I agree with you. Like if there's a Sunday this year, we're not like, where's my wood to knock on? Like, we're not wishing that this happens. But if there's a Sunday this year where even if like, you know, Joe Burrow, like the, the center gets bull rushed and, you know, someone hits his knee and he's out for the season, even if it's not like where Pene would have been playing, the, the rusher comes through there. We all know that what's going to happen, the, the, the whole damn uh, blowback is going to come through there. But I don't know, man. Like, do you tell me if you agree or disagree with this? Like, I feel like like you're not going to make your offensive line a strength of the team, even if you took Pene Sewell there. And I think this is the logic that the Bengals went through. I know there's like conspiracy theories of like they wanted to take Jamar Chase just to make Joe Burrow happy because they're a cheap organization and they're thinking about his contract down the road. I'm like, man, that is quite a brain pretzel there. But I feel like <laughs> you're not going to make your uh, offensive line team strength, even if you put Pene Sewell there. But do the Bengals now? I think the Bengals have one of the best young, young, especially young trios of wide receivers in the league, and all of these guys complement each other really well. I feel like having that pure strength at wide receiver is more important than having like I don't know the fifteenth, fourteenth, sixteenth best offensive line in the NFL, and that's like being generous with a rookie offensive lineman there. No, I totally agree. Especially once they were like, oh, like we took Jonah Williams in the first round; he's our left tackle. I'm like, okay, so like. You're going to take your right tackle at five over Jamar Chase. Like, I don't know if I like that. And especially this year, like the offensive line class was so deep, not to get like too far in the weeds on some of this stuff, but like sure, yeah. the, class, the class was so deep that they could just fire on day two and, and still have been fine. Like not that they get Panay Sewell level impact, but like the gap I felt like between Sewell and, and, and whoever, I mean, I don't even know who, who they ended up taking to be honest, but like Jackson Carmen guard. Yeah. Like the gap between him and Jackson Carmen to me is way smaller than the gap between Jamar chase and like pick a receiver, you know, like it doesn't matter. Yeah. They would have been rolling out T Higgins who I don't think is a number one receiver T Higgins, Tyler Boyd, good players. But then it's like, Oh great. We've got Auden Tate as our third receiver. Or like, are we taking Terrace Marshall in the second round? Uh, Are we taking, you know, whoever you Deami Brown or something in the second round or something, you know, whatever. Just not the same level of impact. So when it actually comes like nuts and bolts to constructing this stack, this is sort of similar where I feel like the top two guys are not going. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins are not going as high as Lamb and Cooper. Boyd is not going as late as Michael Gallup. So when we're talking about this whole Cowboys North thing, there is some difference there just in terms of like ADPs or whatever. But let's start up top between Chase and Higgins. You know, Jamar Chase sort of wide receiver 20-ish, T. Higgins is in the mid-20s, whatever. Which one of those two guys just like at the, you know, obviously Chase over Higgins, whatever, which guy would you rather take given their respective prices? 
probably Higgins for me, just because I think that they're, I think these guys are just so close mm-hmm. in terms of like what I would expect them to produce this year that I would just rather take Higgins. I mean, Higgins was really good last year. Good. Yeah. Good player. You know, and if we're talking about Chase being out there to, to also take away some of that coverage and him not have to be like, I mean, you're the best guy to talk to about this. Like the whole double team thing, like doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, like I, we could really, talk, we could do a whole show really. on that. Yeah, but yeah, like yeah, yeah. not getting that extra attention from the safety level is definitely going to be beneficial and he can win those one-on-one balls too. So uh, I, I think like pretty much whoever was cheaper between these two guys would be my choice. The fact that that's Higgins is why I would go with him. Yeah. In this like fantasy draft range, it doesn't make sense, but I actually feel from like a player perspective, there's sort like T Higgins, Michael Gallup are kind of sort of similar in that way and that they're outside. Gallup is a better X than Higgins is, but like, Pretty good, pretty good separators, not like elite level separators, but better downfield than you'd think. Good contested catch guys. I feel like there's actually sort of a similarity there from a, a deployment standpoint and a potential effectiveness standpoint. Uh, obviously, just from a fantasy angle, Higgins is going to go higher and I think is potentially more like a long term promising player, even though I like Michael Gallup a lot. Um, Tyler Boyd. I feel like Tyler Boyd is sort of the f- forgotten man in this in this space the spectrum here but at the same time i also think that you can obviously just give jamar chase T, uh aj green's volume from last year and he's probably going to be more effective <laughs> with that volume i would i would bet here in 2021 than uh 2020 aj green but if i feel like s- someone's going to get their volume nipped at a little bit i do think it's tyler boyd also because we'll talk to a mix in a second they apparently i really want to make him a featured receiver potentially this year yada yada I feel like Boyd is a value, but not a screaming value, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I get that. I mean, I, I agree with you that like the target from a target share perspective, you would expect Boyd to maybe see take a hit because we're just making such a big improvement with that uh, with that move from Green to, to Chase. That I just think that the pie itself is going to be bigger. Yes, because we're getting to get all this volume, and if we get it over the course of a season, like. I mean, we could we could get 700 attempts in Cincinnati in a 17 game season with with how they approached it last year. Mm-hmm. And if that happens, like I mean, even 20 percent of <laughs> of 700 is like 140 targets. Like that's really good. So, you know, Boyd's going to do his thing. The fact that he's a high catch percentage guy because he's a low ADOC guy, like really helps him in PPR because his catches, his targets are just going to be worth a lot because uh, he's going to catch a lot more of them, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, I'm still high on Boyd. I, again, like at the end of the year, if you told me that Boyd scored the most points, like it wouldn't shock me. Like just, it would just take him having like a really good touchdown season because he's going to get all these catches. So uh, I, I still like Boyd quite a bit for sure. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. It's it's not like a uh, a total knock on him. I just, I, I like you said, if if, we, if the entire if the entire passing pie is bigger, I guess the way I always say it on this show, and I'm sure like listeners are sick of me saying this, especially if they like listen to this show and then they listen to me on uh which don't listen to me this much but you know listen to me like on the on the damn like ffl and and the shows and all this stuff like i always say the slice might be smaller for these players but the overall dish might be a much tastier pie if that makes sense like basically exactly uh the way you were saying it to keep on the like pizza-ish analogy if i could make did you see bill uh, de blasio today the new york city mayor like listed pepperoni as like the fifth best topping and green peppers as like the best pizza <laughs> topping or something like <laughs> what? i Completely mean you're, li- 
Why are you living in New York? Like you're New York's mayor, dude. Like, I mean, give me a break with that one. Let's, uh, I'll, I'll stay out of that. That's, that's my political take for, uh, for the rest of my life, uh, on any sort of fantasy show. <laughs> yeah. You gotta watch out, man. The aggregators between the, between the Bill Blasio pizza and the, uh, you not having great feelings towards Love Bell. Like you're going to get aggregated off this one. Oh yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'll, I'll take, I'll take, I'll take my chances. Uh, so let's talk Joe Mixon here for a second. Joe Mixon right now, you know, is like kind of the back end of the RB one territory. I feel like there's a little bit of you know, quote we have, you know, like just people are burned by Joe Mixon after last year. People are definitely upset, um, but I think Gio Bernard not being there is a pretty big deal. You know, this is a guy who like sees 40 plus targets every single year. He's like a reliable pass catcher. That's why he's down in Tampa Bay right now to kind of fill that reliable pass catching role. What what do you think Mixon's ceiling is? I think he has a potential top five ceiling in his range of outcomes if this Bengals offense really clicks and like the efficiency starts getting boosted up by guys like Chase being in there, opening up the deep passing game and everything like that. And if he does catch some more passes here I, I really do feel like Mixon has a very tantalizing ceiling while also you know adjusting for injury a very safe floor as well yeah I mean I think actually in my last projections update at football guys he's in my top five at, at well, let's back. go like I just <laughs> everything you're saying man like I, the geo thing we've seen and the sample I guess isn't huge because it's not like Bernard's missed a ton of games but like when Geo's not there, the snap shares up, the target shares up, like all, all these stats that we care about are up. Uh, we know that he obviously can do his job on the ground. He's already done that. So if we're talking about this, like really, yeah, I shouldn't say really efficient, but definitely more efficient offense. Uh, that's going to give him more scoring opportunities. And, and again, similar to kind of what we're saying about Boyd, like if he's getting the Geo target share now, and now they're throwing the ball like 650, 700 times. Like all of a sudden, you know, Joe Mixon might have 70 targets this year, you know, like, yeah, exactly. That's, that's kind of crazy to think about, you know, like that, the, the upside that he could have in that scenario. So I am huge, huge, huge on Mixon this year. And like you said, I think the fact that he's kind of like, everyone's like a spurned lover with him this year. I don't know if his price ever really gets to where it should be. Yeah. Everybody, uh, you know, when they're burned, they make mistakes the entire community does that. So this is definitely, I feel like, the guy to take um, in that scenario. Let's talk uh, maybe some reasons why the Bengals stack could fall apart. And let's start with Joe Burrow, who I guess could literally fall apart, right? Like, <laughs> you know, if, if this whole injury situation happens. I really do feel like I, I, I feel bad that I've, like, put this now in my own head. That, like, <laughs> that you know, there's going to be some, like, week nine Sunday or whatever. Scott Hansen's going to be talking about, like, oh, man, look at this injury that's happened to Joe Burrow if they had only taken a an offensive lineman at, at five overall you know meanwhile Jamar Chase is like on pace for 1200 yards or something <laughs> 10 touchdowns like no we don't want we're not going to talk about that we're only talking about the offensive line but I guess there is maybe some risk with Burrow that he's coming off an injury and the fact that last year he was you know, pretty good as a rusher right 37 rush attempts three scores on the ground do you there's of course you know maybe he'll be less willing or less effective as a rusher I guess that's a potential scare for you because if you're gonna take if you're gonna do, make this stack happen you gotta make that pick between like maybe you take Mixon around if you really want to load this thing up maybe you take Mixon early uh you make the choice between Chase and Higgins you bring it back with Boyd there in like the seventh round or something then it's like you got to start looking at Joe Burrow uh, you know how, where are you at with Burrow as a player uh coming off the injury that whole situation 
I guess I'm, I guess I should be more worried about it. I don't know. Like, I, I don't really think about this stuff that much. Like, I'm I not feel- really that worried about it. So I'm playing devil's advocate. Yeah, all, right, all right, cool. <laughs> no, because like, I, I mean, that stuff is just like so out of our control. Like, I feel like medical science is, is advanced past the point where like you tearing your ACL means your career is over, you know, like, right. So, and he doesn't have to like, so, so what, like maybe the first month of the season, he doesn't, he doesn't run as much, like not a huge deal to me. Like he's going to be throwing the ball 40 plus times every game to really good targets. I don't feel like because he hurt himself last year means he's at greater risk of hurting himself this year. Again, you know, talk to a doctor, you know, like I'll talk to Dr. Gene after this. I'd be like, Oh, this is what I said with Harmon. Like, tell me if I'm wrong, you know, like, but like, I I just feel like if we're going to worry about that stuff, like just like the number of red X's you're going to have on your draft board is going to be too many. And uh, yeah, like I'm just not taking any of these running backs at the top of the draft. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Like I'm just going to take the guy who was, who was, who won the Heisman was the first pick last year and was like pretty good as a rookie before he got hurt. Like, I'm just going to trust that. Yeah. A hundred percent real quick too. like one of the reasons I really like this stack and you could tell me if this makes any sense at all, but like theoretically, I, I just I called this uh, in my article. I've been putting guy like putting these stacks into three groups, either high value discount or uh, clearance rack. We haven't got to any clearance rack stacks yet, but uh, this one I put in that discount range because like you don't have to start taking any of these pass catchers or bo- burrow until like rounds five to nine or something like that. So you're able to draft early if you want to take a pass catcher there. You're able to take A.J. Brown, Matt Ryan. Uh, Justin Jefferson, Calvin Ridley, Terry McLaurin, all of whom you can take them, complete the Bengals stack, and then for insurance, I guess, in case Burrow gets hurt, you can easily just, again, stack another one of those top got, top receivers with their quarterback because they're all basically going after Joe Burrow. Um, from like a strategy angle, does that make does that make sense to you or that? Because that's one of the reasons I find this so appealing. No, I love that. I mean, that's that's how I try to build my teams. Because it, when you can get, when the stack involves the premium player, you're not getting like a huge bit of upside off that player, right? Like you're not, you're not gaining a lot, but the kind of like the later in the draft that you're taking these players, like your correlated pieces, basically, that means that like in those weeks where they do really well, you're going to get a lot more value versus the pick. Uh, mm-hmm. So I love being able to get those studs. Like you get those guys, like you mentioned, AJ Brown, whoever that Every week, you're kind of expecting some kind of score from them. And in big weeks, obviously, they can go off. And then you're getting that on top of the stack value. Like, oh, now the Bengals offense is actually pretty good. Like, we're, we're raking in value every week versus like a bunch of these stacks where, you know, obviously it doesn't make them bad. But like even the Dallas stack we were talking about before, like Amari Cooper is going to return like second or third round value regardless. Like, you're not really going to get a lot more out of that than, you know, by having the Dallas stack. But these Bengals guys, you're going to get quite a bit more. Yeah, love that. Love the fact that we can uh, we can construct it that way. Last question for you here on the Bengals stack and, and all this stuff. Who is less of a real person? Tight end Drew Sample or head coach Zach Taylor? Because as much <laughs> as, as <laughs> Drew Sample, I mean, I know he's a second round pick, yada, yada. Like he's atop the depth chart. Definitely sounds like a creative player name. A hundred percent. But also like, dude, Zach Taylor. I mean, we talked about all these like exciting play calling metrics that we got with the Bengals. And I I put them in the article like we're we're excited about the way they call plays. I feel like I know next to nothing about zero. Like who Zach Taylor is. I honestly like I couldn't tell you one thing about him. Like I, I couldn't tell you tall or short. I couldn't tell you what color hair he has. Like I know 
I know nothing. Like to me, he is definitely the pick here. Like I, I feel like I was. I feel like we've joked about this, like I, with uh, Rebar before. Like it's just like I don't. How, how does that happen? You know, like you're you're one of like the 32 professional NFL coaches, and like I literally don't know a single thing about you. It's incredible. Last week we had Pat Doherty on the show, uh, and I didn't get any tweets about this, and I, I might get one about the Bill De, Pla- De Blasio thing, but maybe I'll bring, maybe I'll try it one more time. Yeah, try to try this joke again, but he just looks like any. I like Pat was like, I don't even know what the guy looks like. I was like, just imagine in your head, you know, like you're at a driving range and like all the guys up there, like all the local uh, white dudes at the uh, driving range, like with the polo there. And they don't just sub that polo out for like the country clubs polo for a uh, Bengals polo. And like, I think you've basically got Zach Taylor, but I mean, even if from a philosophy standpoint, we talk about him as like a McVeigh, you know, he's like, he's from the McVeigh trees. One of these guys that got a job because he stood next to Sean McVeigh for, uh, for a year on the sideline there. I don't even know if he's on the sideline as a Rams offense. Of, uh, was he even? I don't even think he was the offensive coordinator. Wasn't he just the quarterbacks coach? Yeah, I think he was just the quarterbacks coach. Yeah, just a quarterbacks coach for the Rams. <laughs> he gets heads, gets himself a nice head coaching job. Good, good, good on that. But like in a way, it's not as if he's really like. I don't think they run a, like a McVay Shanahan style offense necessarily because they're very pass heavy. I guess they're short passing, up tempo, whatever. But yeah, it just feels like, regardless of whether what like which. Uh, you know, country club guy he looks like. It's more so I don't really feel like I know who he is from like an identity standpoint, but I guess a lot of these stats we're talking about, they clearly want to be pass heavy, lean on a three receiver set uh, and have a, you know, a, a high end distributor like Burrow as the quarterback. Yeah, I mean, he took the he took the 11 personnel thing from McVay, at least it seems like. Yeah. But yeah, past that, like I couldn't, I don't know much about like what he does. And <laughs> and like, that's almost, like, again, like I feel like for most coaches, you at least have like some semblance of what they like to do. And it's like, you don't really have that with Taylor. No, no, you do not. I, yeah, he he takes the 11 personnel thing from Sean McVay. And then like, as soon as they leave the next year, uh, McVay is doing like uh, the, the 12 personnel thing with Tyler Higby and Gerald <laughs> Everett. Maybe now they're back to 11 personnel, which I guess is a good, a good, um, a good note for, for Sean McVay being, being flexible there. Whereas maybe Zach Taylor is not, but anyways, Anthony, I'm so glad we got to talk about the Bengals. Uh, anything else you want to plug before we get out of here? What are you working on? Uh, where, what should the people be checking out with Anthony Amin? Nico. Uh, well, I should have a piece on best ball stacking up at football guys, uh, either today or tomorrow. So probably by the time people are listening to this, that'll be out. Um, we're working on the rankings again over at ETR. We're updating those every couple weeks. So definitely if you're a subscriber, keep checking those out. Uh, and we have a couple things that we have down the road, some projects that I think are going to be fun on the dynasty side. So if you love dynasty, it's definitely a great time to get over at ETR. I think, uh, I think you're going to like what you get. Absolutely. Uh, pay for quality work. Those guys there do great quality work. Football guys obviously uh, always uh, endorse football guys. They're the uh, they're the best. That is the coaching tree that I came out of as well. Um, hopefully I'm not the Zach Taylor of the Sean McVay football guys <laughs> coaching tree. Well, no, I guess I'm I mean, probably... I guess I've probably been around long enough now. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm not Zach Taylor. Hopefully people know what I look like. No, people people know what you're about. You know, the, the reception, perception, very <laughs> handsome, like everyone. everyone hey, knows hey we're else. plugging you right now. We're not <laughs> plugging me, okay? <laughs> you guys can find Anthony on Twitter at Amiksta. It's just, it, it's, it's Amico, but uh, Sta at the end. Boom. I love that. Anyways, no, seriously, find Anthony there on Twitter. He's a great follow. Uh, you're going to love everything he's doing at, at Establish the Run. Meantime, in the meantime, while you're waiting for Anthony to update his dynasty ranks at Establish the Run, 
You're looking for some college talk. Follow the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our friend Pat Forty from SI. You should also be listening to Post It Up with Chris Haynes for more in-depth conversation from the world of NBA, but without LeBron James. You know, there's no more, there's no more Lakers, there's no more LeBron James. So you better find out what else you need to care about in the NBA by listening to Post It Up with Chris Haynes. I'm at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. Check us out on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. That's it. We're out. We're done.